Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of Fake TV Critic, a podcast where I discuss the week's biggest TV news headlines, recap and analyze some of my favorite shows, and let you know what you should be watching. Let's get started with some news this week. We now have news on every single broadcast show that aired in the past year as Good Girls, which was on NBC and then subsidized by a deal with Netflix, was canceled after four seasons. And unlike every other show that's ever been canceled in the past 10 years, they are not trying to get it picked up somewhere else. It's just over kaput. And to follow up on Manifest from last week, which was also canceled by NBC, uh, Netflix, where it is apparently pretty popular, it's been in their top 10 hovering in the one, two, three spot uh, for the past few weeks. But Netflix also is not going to pick it up. So this is um, this is interesting to me for a couple of reasons. One is that Netflix used to be the go-to place where fans of shows would like focus their energy on their Save My Show campaigns, which are not new. Like when I was growing up in high school and stuff and around that time, um, there were all these campaigns for shows like when Angel was canceled, we sent po- we I say we because I fucking did it. I was obsessed. We sent postcards to other networks to get it picked up. Like uh, the CW had picked up Buffy after the WB let it go. So or the or UPN rather. So we sent postcards there. We sent postcards to the WB trying to get them to reconsider um, when roswell was canceled we again i say we i sent a postcard but a lot lot of other people sent bottles of hot sauce to the network head um i think it might have been jericho people were sending peanuts to the networks so like these save my show campaigns aren't new like there were billboards that got taken out to save firefly and um those airplanes that fly on the beach with the messages behind them were taken out for shows in the past this isn't new now it's just social media concentrated and typically now people concentrate their energy on places like Netflix because when Netflix was building its library of originals, it routinely picked up shows that networks had previously canceled. Shows like Longmire, which was canceled on what the hell network is it? A and E, maybe. Uh, they picked that up for an additional few seasons. Lucifer, after Fox canceled it, ended up on Netflix. So. uh, designated Survivor from ABC went to Netflix. So there is a history of Netflix, quote unquote, saving these shows. And this seemed like a a better choice than some others because it's already on Netflix. Its first few seasons are already streaming there and it does well. But Netflix passed. So maybe the time of Netflix picking up these broadcast cast-offs is over. And it would make sense because Netflix does not need to build up its originals library anymore. They are producing enough of their own content for people to be content with. And on top of that, this is interesting to me because it really spells out that these like popularity lists on Netflix are truly meaningless. Like when it says these are our top shows for the day, that does not mean anything to the actual network to Netflix that means nothing it does they don't I don't think they particularly care how popular any given show is Jupiter's legacy was very popular in its first week manifest is very popular so I don't know and then shows that are not very popular like special which I loved I'm sure has never been anywhere near their top 10 shows and that got two seasons so who knows how Netflix makes decisions but it's not going to be airing another season of Manifest. So if you are a 
fan of that show, focus your attentions elsewhere, like maybe on the real world. <laughs> okay, other news. Uh, Drake Bell, who used to be on Nickelodeon on Drake and Josh and, you know, has done some minor celebrity things since then. Like what the hell was that name of that celebrity splash or something where it was like a diving competition. He was on that. And now he's like a weird dude on the internet who releases strange uh, Spanish music (laughs) and um, leaks his own dick pics. So he uh, pled guilty in Ohio to a charge of child endangerment. And this stems back to an incident with, I believe, what year was it? 2017, I want to say. And it was with a 15-year-old girl um, where he was trying to get her to, like, come to a show or, I don't know, like, meet him somewhere and like with the and I don't think he explicitly asked for sex because then I think that would be in a different charge but regardless he was interacting with an underage girl on the internet and there was a warrant out for his arrest so he was talking to this girl it may have been sexual in nature but I don't think explicit and like there were no pictures involved so it he, he wasn't charged with like pornography or anything and that like that, but he is facing up to two years in federal prison. Now, I do not think he will get that long because again, he did plead guilty. So that tells me that he probably struck a deal. So he's being sentenced on July 12th. That's fun. Uh, (laughs) So if you grew up with Drake Bell, sorry to ruin your childhood. What else? NCIS, which has been on the air for a million years, is coming back in the fall. So if you don't know what NCIS is, I never watched a single episode of the show in my life, but apparently everyone over the age of 60 watches it around the clock because it keeps coming back. But Mark Harmon, who is the lead, is going to be stepping back next season and appearing in, according to Deadline, about a handful of episodes. So even though the show is continuing, it's leading man is leaving, which never is a good sign. And they're adding Katrina Law, who used to be on Arrow and does Hallmark Christmas movies now, and Gary Cole from Office Space are going to be new series regulars to kind of fill in that gap. What else, what else, what else? Uh, Supernatural is getting a new spinoff in development at the CW. It just ended this year, again, after like 15 seasons or something crazy like that. And now the CW is developing a spinoff that is also a prequel that will follow uh, Dean and Sam's parents called the Winchesters. And Jared Padalecki uh, has diarrhea of the mouth, so he was on Twitter talking about how pissed off he was that he is not going to be involved in the development of this, which is more interesting probably than the show will be. And then finally, the winners of the Peabody Awards were announced this week, and the TV winners are HBO's I May Destroy You, Showtime's The Good Lord Bird, starring Ethan Hawke, Netflix's Unorthodox, uh, The Late Show with Stephen Colbert on CBS, Apple TV's Ted Lasso, which is just rounding up all those awards, and Amazon's uh, film series, Small acts from uh, Steve McQueen, who directed Shame and 12 Years a Slave. Okay, so coming up this week on the podcast, TV is like real slow right now. So I am just going to be recapping the first two episodes of RuPaul's Drag Race All-Star 6, which premiered last week on Paramount+. 
plus. So I'm going to do like maybe really one really long segment and uh, then give you some recommendations because like I said, there's not a whole lot happening on TV right now. So, and also it was, it was pretty, it was a pretty decent premiere. Um, yeah. So stay tuned for that. Let's get right down to it. All star six episode one. Let's fucking go. So Paramount plus new episodes coming out on Thursday. They gave us two episodes and two untucks for this premiere week. And I could not be more thrilled mostly because the second episode was better than the first because there are 1,800 queens, but that's neither here nor there. Let's talk about the episodes. So All Stars is always a complete mixed bag. It used to be fan favorites and or people who got near to the top but did not succeed. It is now um, that, and also uh, people that we roped into doing the show because the people we really wanted said fuck you to our ridiculous contract. So this season in particular is a lot of the latter because so many of these queens are queens that went out. I think I mentioned this in a former episode when I talked about the cast reveal. Um, there are queens that went out really early in their seasons. There are a lot of queens that didn't even make it to the halfway point. There are a lot of queens that went out... I mean, Serena Chacha's in this cast and she only lasted two episodes and barely at that. So I don't know. It's, it's, it's a very strange cast. It's a lot of older Queens and then a lot of season 11 Queens. It's a lot of Queens that we love and just a lot of Queens period. So anyway, let's get into it. So for the cast, we have Serena Chacha from season five, who was the villain for the first two episodes until they sent her ass packing real early. Um, Jiggly Caliente, who was on season four, probably best known for dressing like a baked potato in the first episode. She has since come out as a trans woman, is doing some work on Pose on FX. We have Yara Sofia from season three and All Stars 1, who almost won both of those seasons. She lives and works in Las Vegas and is just as nutty cuckoo as ever. Trinity K. Bonet, who was somewhat of a villain, I want to say, on season six. She came off real salty on the show because she didn't seem to know how to do anything. Um, and then she ended up doing really well in a few challenges. So I'm really glad to see Trinity back. I liked her. Silky Nutmeg Ganache, who I wish I would never have to see again. Maybe the most controversial figure in all of Drag Race history. Uh, production clearly loves her. She was top four made it all the way to the finale on season 11, and no one watching at home understood why. I still don't. I don't know why she's back for All-Star 6. No one wanted this. Scarlet Envy was 10th place on season 11. Also, kind of, she's one of these queens who's on the show, and I'm like, oh, okay, we're bending the definition of All-Star. But she was, like, there on her first season, super pretty, fashionable, but, like, didn't really show that she could do much. Again, 10th place. And then in ninth place on season 11 was Raja O'Hara, who is also back and was a little bit of a villain on her season, but at least had some fun, like, talking head moments. But, again, like, some queens were out really early who were kind of like, oh, okay. Um, we have Pandora Box, who was Miss Congeniality on season two and went out first on All Stars 1. I loved her on her first season, did not love her on All Stars 1 kind of have grown to dislike her based on her output post-drag race of like her really terrible music and 
her kind of like overall kind of bitter attitude toward the show. So I'm surprised to see her back, but here she is. Sonique now going by Kylie or Kylie Sonique Love, who came out at the season two reunion as a trans woman. Again, ninth place on season two. Jan, who, oh God, I loved her on season 12. One of the most talented queens to ever be on the show. Got the short shrift, but had some iconic moments like the face crack of the century when she did not win the Madonna Rusical. She is back. And again, a low placement. She was eighth place on her season. We have Ginger Minge, who was top four on season seven and then uh, went home eighth place again on All Stars 2. Eureka, who... Eureka O'Hara is going by Eureka exclamation point now. <laughs> Jesus. Who has been on We Are Here on HBO. Uh, made it again all the way to the finale to the final lip sync on season 10. And then lost to Aquaria. And finally, Akira C. Davenport. Who made it to the finale on season 11 alongside Silky Ganache, And again, lost. There are all of our contestants. For those of you counting at home, that is 13 queens. That is the largest all-stars cast that we have ever had. And like, did we need all of them? Especially when we're talking about queens that are kind of like, oh, you're there? No, we did not. Um, we could have had a cast of 12 with no Serena Cha-Cha and been just fine. We could have had maybe a cast of 10 and been just fine. And, you know, like maybe get rid of like Scarlet and Pandora, because you've been here twice, and Ginger, because you've really been here twice. You were on All-Stars 2. Not 1. Like, I know we're playing this game where, like, All-Stars 1 doesn't really count, and I can kind of get behind that because it was a shit show of a season. It was super short. And someone like a Pandora who was beloved and then despised, maybe, maybe give her a chance to be beloved again. So scratch that. Let's say we get rid of Serena and, let's say, uh, Scarlet, because... Do, do we really... Anyway, um, Ginger, because you you were on All Stars 2. And I don't know, maybe like a Raja, because again, ninth place on your original season. And let's go, let's go from there. Regardless, everyone walks in, everyone is, you know, it's crazy. I've talked about this before, how much drag race has changed, and it's especially um visible in this season. I do not know if they filmed and edited and put together this cast and this season with the intent of being on streaming on Paramount Plus. Because if you remember last year before the pandemic hit, All Stars 5 was supposed to be on Showtime on premium cable as a way to kind of um, monetize this show more for CBS Viacom. And then because of the pandemic, they're like, well, we're not going to ask people to spend like $10 a month on a streaming service for or on a premium cable service for this show. We're putting it on VH1. But now we have All Star 6 that is on Paramount Plus, which is a pay service. It's not as expensive as Showtime if you go with the ad supported option. But if they knew a year plus ago that there was the opportunity to make money off of this, I have to think that they had that in the back of their heads when they were casting. And then if that is the case, why this cast? Like this to me is not a cast that is going to be exciting enough for a lot of people to subscribe to a streaming service. And based on what I've seen on social media, that's pretty true. At no point on premiere day was this show trending naturally. It was trending as a promoted 
topic. And that to me says that a lot of people are not shelling out the money. I bought the service months ago because they were running a really cheap deal for it. And I think I paid $30 for the whole year for the ad supported version because I knew I would want to watch this. And I've watched a bunch of other stuff since then. I've recommended and talked about some of it on the podcast. But I think this is a show that is going to draw people in. But is this cast going to draw people in? I don't know. And then on top of that, the way the show is constructed, if you're constructing it for streaming, then make the episodes longer. Like this would have been an hour and a half episode on TV and it's about an hour long on streaming. Give us a full hour and a half then. Like, especially for when there's 13 queens and the first episode, as usual on All Stars, is a talent show. Let us see their fucking talent. (laughs) It makes no sense. Like we got, I think, one queen's full one minute or more performance. So like Jan goes first and she obviously sings, blows the roof off the place, but they edit it to make her look like she's lip syncing when she's actually singing live according to her and her friends on the internet. So why do that? Is it because she's not in the top for the episode? So you don't want us to see that she should have been Um, like why when the talent show like this is kind of geared toward branding yourself, like most of these Queens did songs that they wrote or remixed and are now available to stream or buy. So if this is like, you know, a financial machine. And I'm sure that there's something in the contract that world of wonder gets part of their money that they make from this. Why not show the full performance? So we know whether or not we want to go download or stream or buy these singles. It doesn't make any sense. So regardless, like I said, many, 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 many of these Queens either lip synced to their own track, remixed like a catchphrase or wrote new songs. Some of them maybe shouldn't have, like Eureka O'Hara sang and wrote a song for her mother, which I'm sorry to say was just not very good. Um, Jiggly, who has one of the best albums ever released by a drag race queen called Thought Process, T-H-O-T, and she's a rapper, like why didn't she rap? She like lip synced to a rap, like rap live. It was weird. Um, Akiria, who I who was great in the improv challenge, did not you know just lip sync to a track. Yara Sophia lip synced to a track. Now she did a crazy cuckoo bananas lip sync with like these crazy fake titties that she was bouncing and swinging all around and ended up in the top for it. But like, so it was like I guess a comedy element of lip sync, but it was just it was dull. So then the ones that really stood out were the ones who didn't do that for better or for worse. So for good was Raja O'Hara who created and changed into a dress in her entire time. So like 60 seconds, she cut, sewed, and put on a dress. And it looked great. Like that was impressive. That is a talent for sure. Not something I think I ever would have thought to do for a talent show, so to speak, but it fucking was great. And then we had Scarlett, who should have been in the top, who did like a burlesque number, which again is not new. Ben de la Creme did one very successfully on All Stars 3, and Roxy Andrews did one very successfully on All Stars 2. But Scarlett's twist is that she did it with bubbles. And the bubbles were not just like, oh, I'm, you know, shooting a bubble gun. Like she, like those bubbles were so, I don't know how to describe these bubbles without talking, without like sounding like a dumbass, but like they were just so cool. She like bathed herself in bubbles and then blew bubbles like on and in her hands. And then she like moved bubbles all around. It was just, it was so much fun. It was so cute and so 
cool. And in Untuck, she was like, I wanted it. I wanted to have more fun while I was here. So I did something joyful. I was like, who doesn't love bubbles? That brings people joy. And like, that's so true. So she should have been in the top. Raja was in the top. Yara was in the top. And then we get people, you know, like Trinity who did stand up and bombed. Trinity had a great stand-up showing on season six, tried to revisit a lot of the same material, did not do well. Historically, this tracks. Jazz and Masters did terribly doing stand-up on All-Stars 4 and went home. Don't do stand-up as your as your talent on All-Stars, basically. Um, and then we had, like, Silky, who was in the bottom for, um, like, trying to sing and play the piano and didn't do either very well, in my opinion. And then Serena Chasha, who was another remix thing, but like was just the weakest of all the remixes because the song was fucking stupid. It was about styling wigs. Like I get it. But then again, that's what she does. That's her business is styling wigs. So she did this as an extension of her brand, which is she owns a wig company. So like I can't fault her because that's what the talent show is. It's not just having a talent. It's also selling yourself. You know, like Jan's song was literally called Jantasy and it's on Spotify right now if you want to stream it. And that, that's what the show is, right? Like, that's what All Stars is. It's you spend all this fucking money. You come in with these crazy looks. You have to spend money on the promo because if you follow any of the queens on social media, they were running around New York City in all these different looks, doing all this press on release day. They all know they didn't win. They know who the tops are. They know when they went home. They know they didn't win and they're still spending all this money on these looks for promo. Like that is dedication, but you know that if you do it well, you're going to make that money back in things like these songs you release, in the merch you release. Like Jan is one of my favorites, so I've been following her. She is already released as of the weekend this show premiered, the song she sang on the runway, and two new pins that you can collect based on her um, runway looks in episode two, which I'll get to in a second plus a new t-shirt with her entrance look and a sticker with her entrance look. And this is just the first week. There will be new merch coming every week. Trinity K. Bonet, who has never had merch before, built a website and is releasing merch. Ginger Minge released a whole fucking album today, including the song that she lip-synced to in her variety show. So this is what Drag Race is now. It's a business. And some queens go on the show knowing it's a bad business decision. So we have our top two queens. I'm digressing a whole lot. The top two queens for episode one after the talent show are um, Yara and Raja with Yara winning. I do not agree with that. I don't agree with the top at all. I think it should have been Raja, Scarlett, and Jan, but that's just me. I don't really get why Jan and Scarlett were safe. Whatever. Um, and then I actually probably would have given the win to Raja over uh, Yara, but that's okay. And then the bottom two that they're going to be voting on, we're doing the same lipstick rules of the group is voting for one girl and the winner is voting for a girl. If the winner wins the lip sync against the assassin, the queen that she chooses goes home and she gets $10,000. If the assassin wins, the queen the group chooses goes home and the $10,000 rolls over to the next week. So Yara wins. And she goes up against um, the lip sync assassin, who is Coco Montrese. And I don't think Coco did a very good lip sync, but there is some fucking great synergy because everyone voted for Serena Chacha to go home. So Serena Chacha, who shouldn't have been there in the first place, goes home in the first episode with no dramatics, no fireworks. There's no fighting. This episode was very fast because there are so many queens and it was a talent show. And... 
we still barely got to see a lot of stuff go down and there was no fighting like at all. But everyone votes for Serena to go home over Trinity, who was the other bottom to Queen. So Coco gets to send Serena Chacha home. And if you remember season five, they had a bit of a beef. So synergy, it took 10 plus years for it to happen, but Coco got to send Serena's ass home. And then we find out next episode um, that Yara had actually voted for Trinity and she did it strategically thinking that she was going to, as she says, Manila everyone's asses, that she was going to send the better competitor home and that in her eyes was Trinity. So we get a little bit of the beginnings of some drama there. Finally, even though there wasn't much in the actual episode, there's also an untucked and from what I can remember, nothing particularly noteworthy happened on it other than the safe girls talking about how they're here to enjoy themselves and like, especially Scarlett and Jan who both kind of had like bitter moments in their eliminations and the episodes they went home um, are there to just like do it. (laughs) You know, they're there because they are confident and they have fans and now they, you know, if they're safe, they're safe. It means they get another episode where they can, you know, sell themselves again. This is very much a business and it shows a lot in this episode. So overall, the first episode was, it was fine. It was there. Um, it it did what I think All-Stars is good at doing in that it showed why, it, it showed the talented queens doing their best work. So in this case, queens that we know we already love, like Yara Sophia, who we love as a cuckoo crazy person doing cuckoo crazy things. Um, and people we know and love like Jan doing what Jan does best, hitting those money notes in a song. But then it also lets us see new sides and talents to the Queens who maybe got short shrift on their season, like Raja O'Hara, who almost in one episode, almost completely turned my opinion of her around. Like I said, at the beginning of this recap, I don't think she even really deserved to be there, but I ended up, I thought her talent was great. And I, and she's already showing growth that I really appreciate or a queen like Scarlett again, who I said maybe shouldn't even be there and then had one of my favorite talents and just came across very sweet and genuine and happy to be there. And those are the two things that all stars does best. What it doesn't do best is showcase these queens who just really want screen time. Like I love India Farah. I was so happy to see her on season five of all stars. She is one of the most dynamic Queens I have ever seen perform live. And I think she really proved that in the first episode of season five of all stars last year. But then like, you know, she never really matched that. And rather than just like, accept that her time was probably coming to an end. She created some shit and she got more screen time by like feeding into this drama, which is fun to watch, but did not end up doing her any favors because a lot of the fandom can't understand that she's just making for good TV. So then she ends up looking even worse than when she came in. And so far to me, that's not really happening with anyone here, but it still has the potential to, we, we still have 12 Queens left after the first episode. So we'll see what happens. All right, I'm going to take a quick break. And then after we're going to get into episode two. This is my second time recording this because Anchor decided to delete my entire recap. Go yell at them. Okay, so episode two, where did we leave off? Yara Sophia voted for Trinity. Trinity did not go home because Yara Sophia lost the lip sync, which, okay, cool. This already sets up more story in the first like two minutes of this episode. 
than we got in the entirety of the first episode. Because there were so many queens and they were all competing for screen time and it was a variety show. And like I said, they did not extend the episodes on Paramount Plus. It felt like there was no actual story being told. Well, they started to kick that into high gear in this episode. So we get the story of like, Yara has now put a target on her own back because clearly she is the only one who thought that Trinity should go home. And she admits that it's because Trinity is a better competitor and she wanted to get rid of her. And I guess she thought that she would win the lip sync and that she wouldn't have to worry about it. But so we have that storyline of like potentially setting up Yara as a bit of a villain and kind of already in episode one, one now two, calling into question how are these queens going to decide who goes home? They have a conversation later of like, that they want to base it on integrity, but what does integrity mean? That means something to everyone different. Does that mean like you were going solely by judges critiques? You ignore your personal relationships. Like Manila during all stars four had this conversation where she was like, I picked Monet to go home, even though Monet did not go home because she won obviously, because I could not pick Latrice's lipstick and then look my friend in the eye after the show is over. And that has to play into it. We'll talk a little more about that at the end of the recap. Um, and then we also start to get a storyline with um, some of the queens who have evolved a lot over the season. So we get a lot about Jiggly in this episode, um, who on season four, or after season four, came out as a trans woman and has been doing a lot of personal growth, uh, but still is having some of the same issues with the show that she had back then, because the challenge for the episode is a ball. And you have to wear two looks and then make a third. And the theme is the blue ball, which is hysterical. So the first category is blue better work, which is um, a blue collar worker realness category. And the second is denim baby or something like that. And basic blue jean baby, which is a denim look. And then the third one is blue bonanza. And this is like an unconventional materials challenge where they have to make a look in all blue unconventional materials in the workroom. And Jiggly famously had one of the, one of, if not the worst, um, unconventional materials looks of all time on Drag Race in season four, episode one, when she looked like a baked potato. And they referenced that in the episode. And she does do better than that, but still is having issues. Like she didn't really learn how to sew or how to create a garment since she left. And like, girl, you've been trying to get back on Drag Race ever since you got off of it. Like, Learn how to fucking sew. I don't understand. Ugh. Anyway, so we're setting up that storyline. And then we, so we're also starting to get kind of like season long arc storylines to set up of like, we can start to see now where exactly people's stories are going to go for the season. Like we know immediately Jiggly is either in trouble and is pro and is in the bottom for the episode, or she's going to excel and win. And then that's going to set her up for the rest of the season. Um, that storyline actually goes to um, Raja O'Hara, where we, you know, she famously went home as well on her season during an unconventional materials challenge where she made a pair of pants out of burlap and they fell apart on the stage and she looked like Groot, <laughs> but then she ends up doing really well. So we can start to see trajectories and season long arcs being set up. Trinity K. Bonet had a really bad first episode, has a much better second episode. And then based on the talking head interviews and who's the quote unquote narrators of the season, we can start to see who might do well. Like again, Raja O'Hara, Trinity K. Bonet. 
Um, Eureka O'Hara, Ginger Minge, these are our narrators. So we can tell they're probably gonna go far. Once we get to the judging then, we can also start to see who the producers are not invested in as winners. And again, I'll get to that in a second. So the ball. This was a chaotic fucking challenge for a second episode because there are still 12 queens and they're each presenting three looks. That means the runway is 36 looks. Which is just too fucking many. Like, do this challenge later. It doesn't make any sense to me to do it so early because just like the talent show, a lot of these looks got the shaft. Like, we didn't get to see a lot of the creativity of the queens because they were shoving all these looks in. Anyway, so we get to the runway. The The guest judge is Big Frida, who looks fucking fantastic, but that's neither here nor there. So the first category, like I said, is the blue collar worker realness look. Now, a few of the queens took this in the ball term of realness, which I talked about legendary a couple episodes ago. I've discussed Pose. The ball culture is a very real underground thing. It's a part of LGBT culture. And I would imagine some of these girls came from there. Like I'm thinking specifically, potentially like Raja and Akira, and I'm sure there are others. And the definition of realness in those categories of those balls is, can you pass? Like, are you dressed like that profession? Not, are you taking that profession and making it high fashion? Not, are you making that profession look better? It's, do you look like that? And a couple of these looks did. Like, Trinity K. Bonet looks like a real crossing guard. But she also did not look like she belonged on the stage of RuPaul's Drag Race All-Star 6. Like, it was a dumpy, ugly outfit. Same thing like Raj O'Hara dressed like a construction worker. So, I mean, she looked like a construction worker. It was elevated a little bit, which I think is what put her um, kind of more toward the top is that she melded high fashion with this ball definition of realness. So that was interesting to see as well. But basically a lot of the queens just kind of like took a profession, a blue collar profession and like made it fashion. So some of my favorites were Jan, who came out in a black mini dress with like tires on her shoulders and in her hair and just looked really cool, like a mechanic and it was leather and it was kind of bondagey. It was really cool looking. Kylie Sunique Love, who came out in a denim look as if she, as a carpenter, like swinging a wrench. And I don't know, like it didn't scream carpenter to me, even that's what she said it was, but it just looked really good on her. Eureka hit it out of the park, dressed as a crossing guard in bright orange with like a kid squashed against her butt. She she took it to the next level. Hers was far and away the best of the category. And then I really liked Jiggly, who was dressed as like a sexy sanitation worker with a garbage can lid on her head, which was designed by Manila Luzon. It was very Manila looking and it was cool and it was campy and I liked it. So the bad ones, Ginger Minge, dressed as a plumber and looked like Mario from Super Mario Brothers and just looked terrible and was like licking the wrench she was carrying, which reminded me of the episode she went home in All-Stars 2, she was like licking something as Catherine the Great and like, stop licking things on the runway. I did not like it. Akira came out as a welder with like a pipe on her arm and no one got it and she had to explain it. So clearly a failure. Yara Sophia came out as a construction worker and wore the same titties from the first episode, which no, that's a mistake. And this, this like buff muscly, padding for her arms, which just made her look strange. I did not like it. Um, second category, denim, Raja, again, 
does very well. Eureka looks good. It's a really dark denim. Jan, again, knocks the fuck out of the park in like different shades of denim, geometric, shaped, had a star coming out of her hips on her butt that like did not somehow, somehow did not make her look huge. Great hair, great makeup, fucking stunning. Like literally looked like a star. It was so good. Um, and then Trinity K. Bonet looked better than her first look. It was like a hippie 70s kind of thing. The pants were a little too short. It was a little expected, a little roughly, but still looked pretty good. I did not like Kylie Sonique's look. It was, it, I thought it looked lazy. It was a pair of jeans and a bandana. And like, she looked beautiful and it was an homage to Christina Aguilera and Britney Spears. So that was nice, but meh. Um, oh, I forgot Silky in the first round. Dressed as a milkman, but it was red. And like, I'm sorry, milkmen wear white. So what the fuck are you doing? Like, it looked like she had an outfit she wanted to wear and just like carried on a milk pail with it. Her second look was also terrible. Um, the denim look, I did not like it. Akira's denim look, um, not my favorite, but again, better than her first look. But the judges hated it. Um, who else? Yara Sophia didn't actually wear denim. It looked like denim, but it was spandex, which was a confusing choice. And then again, Ginger was in a denim jumpsuit and she just looked like a rock. Like she was, she, she was shaped round and soft with the padding and with her stomach. And she just looked like a river stone. <laughs> I hated it. And then finally the one, the looks they had to make, there were a lot of meh looks, um, but my favorites were Raja, who this was the look that I feel like definitely put her over the edge. She made like a bolero kind of thing and a mini dress out of, um, I don't know, like chair cushions or pads or chair pads, maybe something like that. But it looked great. It was it was shaped well. It had structure. It was cool. Scarlet blew the shit out of the water with a sequined gown. Stunning. Looks like an, a mermaid underwater. Um, Trinity K. Bonet, again. Uh, made up for her first category and for the short pants in the second category with a stunning Cinderella ball gown that just, it looked effortless. I don't know what the fuck she made it out of, but it was perfect. She even left the shoe on the runway like she was Cinderella. It was great. And then Jan, again, Jan did so good. She looked like Effie from the Hunger Games and it was styled to perfection. She made a cage. She put actual unconventional materials like silk flowers on her. That's what it was made out of. And like pieces of plastic. And like, she actually made something out of unconventional materials and she wasn't in the top. She was safe again. Ugh, annoying. And then we had Jiggly who was truly terrible. Like I mentioned at the beginning was just a blanket with ribbon on it. Silky again, I hated. She like made a pants out of a quilt. It was so ugly. And Dakiria again, I did not like. She like cut up these plastic cups and glued them to a shower curtain and it had no movement and it looked stiff. And the winner is Raja O'Hara. But according to the judges, I'm sorry, I know that I'm team Jan and I keep saying it, but like, I really do feel like Jan was objectively the winner of this. And I, the fact that she wasn't even in the top is confusing to me. So when I was saying earlier that we can start to see like what the producers have planned in terms of story, clearly Jan is not going to win. She is going to play somewhere in the middle alongside Scarlet Envy because to me, they both excelled in these first two challenges. Jan more so than Scarlet because I think Scarlet's first two looks were not hugely su successful. They were, they were safe, but her third look was great. In this one, I feel like Jan had far and away the best denim look, one of the best blue collar looks, and one of, if not the best, unconventional materials looks alongside Raja. So like she wasn't even in the top. And I don't know if this is like the producers fucking with Jan because they want her to break and they can get drama out of that. But like, 
she should have been in the top, if not won both of these first challenges. It's frustrating. But regardless, the bottom two then is Yara Sophia, which like I don't agree with. I would have put Silky or Akiria down there. Um, and then also Jiggly Caliente, who probably should be in the bottom for that third look. And her second look wasn't all that exciting. It spoke to me because I am of the time of Jenko giant jeans that like if it, if it rained that day, you had two-tone jeans because <laughs> they were going to be the denim color and then the color of wet denim on the bottom. But it wasn't exciting. It was a t-shirt and jeans. So I get why she was in the bottom. But Yara should not have been in the bottom. It should have been Akiria, who was in the bottom three, but not the bottom two, and or Silky, who was terrible again this week. I don't get what the judges see in her. But regardless, Raja is the winner and has to and then has to pick between um, Yara or Jiggly. And then for the lip sync, she's going up against Brooklyn Heights of season 11 and one of the best lip syncers of season 11. And they lip sync to Miss You Mutt with Janet Jackson. And it is fantastic. It is probably the best lip sync in quite a few seasons of Drag Race. Um, I can't remember any lip syncs better from All Stars 5. So maybe even All Stars 4. So this is for sure one of the best lip syncs in many years. And it will, it's not, it's not like top five, but it's definitely very strong. And they like one up each other throughout with tricks and splits and dancing. And it, it's great. And Raja ends up winning the $20,000 and um, her pick to go home will go home. But then Brooklyn also wins. So it's a tie. So whoever is on both lipsticks will go home. If it's two different people, they both go home. If it's the same person, that one person goes home. And both all both the girls and um, Raja pick Jiggly, which is super sad because I love Jiggly. You know, she didn't do a whole lot in this episode to prove why she should be there, but she's a great queen. I know she's campaigned for years to get back on the show, so I'm sad to see her go so early. What's even more shocking, and again, is setting up more storyline throughout the season, is that Ginger, who Jiggly built up throughout the episode as her best friend in the competition, and Ginger even mentioned this of like, do I vote for my friend who had a really bad look? Like, was her look bad enough to overlook how bad Yara Sophia's first look was. So what, what happens there? And then we find out that Ginger voted for her friend. She voted for Jiggly. So clearly not from the Manila school of thought of things. And maybe that's setting up a Ginger as a villain edit, which I'd be down for. Um, because so far Ginger is not impressing me, but I can kind of tell from her talking heads and from the fact that like she is on the low end of things, but has not been in the bottom yet that she's probably going to coast through at least to the end, if not further, because they're waiting for her to kind of like have her moment and show up. Um, but then we have people like Scarlett and Jan, who I feel like are excelling, especially Jan and are safe, who are probably going to be middle outs. Like what the fuck does Jan have to do to get a win? Like she never won anything on her season. And like I said, and you can, you can disagree with this challenge. Like, I get it. Maybe you have, we have different tastes in fashion, whatever, for this challenge. Maybe you don't think she should have won. But, like, it's hard to argue that she shouldn't have been in the top. Same thing, like, for that first challenge. If you think she should not have won, if you think that, like, this is a talent show. And she clearly displayed the most dynamic talent and lost. That makes no sense to me. Ugh. Anyway. That's the episode. Um, 
the release schedule of All-Star 6 is crazy. The episodes come out on Thursdays at 3 a.m. Eastern, midnight Pacific. No one knows when to watch these things. I had to be up super early on Thursday. I had a headache, and I was going to be up early anyway because I had a friend who was supposed to come into New York from across the country. Hey, Kevin, if you're listening, sorry you missed your flight. <laughs> but then ended up in that not happening, but I was up anyway. So I watched both episodes before, like, 9 a.m., um, but no one else knows when to watch them. Bars don't know when to watch them. There was a tweet along at eight o'clock on Thursday, but like, if I have the time before that, I'm going to watch them. And probably that also lends to why it was never trending. But regardless, episodes are coming out on Thursdays. So make sure you like avoid social media until you can watch these episodes because we're all tweeting and updating and Instagramming and stuff at different times. <laughs> the first episode is streaming for free on YouTube right now. The second episode in Untucked is on Paramount+. Plus. Um, go get that shit so we can talk about it. We have a pretty slow week this week in terms of premieres and finales. On Monday, Below Deck Mediterranean, which premiered last week on Peacock, will premiere on Bravo. So if you have Peacock and you watch Below Deck Med, I am not watching this season out of protest because Malia and Captain Sandy are fucking garbage and they're both back and I hate them. Um, and I'm not alone in that. But if you are watching, you can watch episodes a week ahead of time on Peacock, or you can catch up on Bravo. And again, the sixth season, which started on Peacock already, is now airing on Bravo. On Wednesday, Paramount Plus is releasing a Pride crossover special called Dragging the Classics, The Brady Bunch. And it's starring a bunch of drag race queens alongside a bunch of Brady Bunch actors in like a remake, I think, of an episode maybe, or there's not a whole lot of detail out yet, but it sounds ridiculous and it comes out on Wednesday. So it's Barry Williams, who was Greg, Christopher Knight, who was Peter and Mike Lookinland, who was Bobby and Chris Knight and Mike Lookinland are playing Peter and Bobby again, but Barry Williams is playing the father, Mike. And then one of the other Queens from Drag Race, Ben De La Creme, is going to play Greg Brady. Uh, and then Eve Plum, who was original Jan, and Susan Olsen, who was the original Cindy, are also in it, but as characters named Lucy and Margie. And <laughs> Sonique, or Kylie Sonique Love, as she's now going by, who was on this current season of All Stars 6, is going to be playing Jan. And Candy Muse is playing Cindy. Oh, Lord. And then Shea Coulee is going to play Marsha Brady. Bianca friggin' Del Rio is doing this special as Carol. And uh, Nino West is going to play Alice, which is the most perfect casting. And, like, I cannot wait for whatever the fuck that is going to be. It sounds so strange and so silly, and I can't wait. Then on Thursday, HBO Max is releasing a new animated series starring Tom and Jerry called Tom and Jerry in New York. Um, this was, I believe they announced after how well the movie did, surprisingly, on their platform, because that movie was garbage. But maybe they work better in animation. So that series drops on Thursday. And then Bravo is premiering Top Chef Amateurs, which they previewed a couple months ago and is hosted by Gail Simmons and is basically about amateur home cooks who are competing in half-hour episodes against each other to two contestants against each other, and they each are paired with a Top Chef all-star. So the first episode was like, meh, okay, cool, whatever. But 
maybe it'll find its footing in later episodes. So that also premieres on Thursday officially. And then on Friday, Netflix releases the first part of its three-part film series based on the Fear Street novels by R.L. Stein, which I loved as a kid. So I'm excited for these. Um, there are three parts. So it's kind of like three long episodes of TV. Um, they're they're uh, promoting it as a trilogy of films, uh, but they were all made together with the same cast. It's more like a, an anthology TV series. But regardless, part one, which is set in 1994, is released on Friday, and then subsequent uh, installments will come out on the following Fridays. For finales, the season four finale of In Treatment airs on HBO. The series finale, so the last episode ever of The Bold Type on Freeform. HBO Max wraps up season two of Full Bloom, its floral arrangement competition series. Top Chef ends its season. The second season of Trying ends on Apple TV+. And the final episode of Emergency Call airs on ABC. My recommendation for the week, this is the last week in Pride Month for this podcast, and I am going to recommend something very gay once again. This is another drag series. Now, it is very different from RuPaul's Drag Race, which I have recapped every iteration of that's been on since I started the podcast. This is the Boulay Brothers' Dragula, and this is more in the spirit of, like, the punk side of drag, which RuPaul actually used to be when she first started. And it's based on the tenets of drag, horror, filth, and glamour. And basically it's like, you know, are you, are you punk? Can you hit like, are it's spooky Queens. It's out there Queens. It's Queens who do horror and um, Halloween. It's Queens who are kind do kind of gross shit. And it's really entertaining. The personalities on this are supreme. <laughs> they are all really good. There are three seasons. The first is hard to find now. It stars one of my favorite drag queens of all time, Meatball, who hosts, I, I think I've mentioned her on the podcast before because she hosts a great podcast on the Forever Dog Network called Sloppy Seconds with Big Dipper. And she is hysterical. The show aired on YouTube for the first season, and it was like real cheap, real unpolished. Meatball was on that season. Um, and since then, it kind of like every season gets better. So seasons two and three are currently available on Netflix. Now, I don't know how much longer they will be on Netflix because season four is coming in the fall and it's going to be moving to the Shutter streaming service, which I got a free preview of last year and is really decent if you love horror. I did not watch it enough to justify paying for it after the trial ended, um, but I may go back and pay for it once uh, Dragula season four starts airing. So season two and three are available. They are both really great. They have some amazing contestants. Season three, I think, is, is definitely the best season. It has the best winner and because of when it aired, which was at this point almost two years ago, I believe it was around the same time as that would have been. It was right after season 11, which was an underwhelming season of Drag Race for me. And it would have been right around season four of All Stars. Again, also an underwhelming, in retrospect, me personally, the worst season of All Stars. So like season three came along at the perfect time. And I was like, kind of disenfranchised with RuPaul's Drag Race, but still really love drag. And some of my favorite personalities on 
any reality competition series are literally on season three of Dragula. Such an amazing cast. And one of the things that this show really stands out for and that people really enjoy it for and it gets a lot of press and coverage and fan interaction on the internet for is that they have always included all genders, sex, and gender expressions, sexual orientations, um, body modifications, all that stuff that kind of like is a little more taboo on Drag Race uh, is welcomed with open arms <laughs> on Dragula. Um, so like, for instance, in season three, which again, kind of came on the heels of a lot of this controversy with RuPaul not like doing interviews saying that trans women have an advantage on drag race because of like work that they have had done and or hormones. Uh, right after that, we had trans contestants on, on Dragula, including my, one of my favorites of the season, Priscilla Chambers, uh, just some really great queens and some queens even on this series that people were campaigning to be on drag on drag race like Eva Destruction every season when there's a new cast going into filming everyone up until Dragula everyone always speculated that Eva Destruction was going to be on the show and she ended up being on Dragula and it was a perfect vehicle for her she's so great um, and then the first drag king on any of these series Landon Sider who I since the show aired, I am obsessed with him. Love, love. I saw his uh, digital drag show last summer or last spring when the pandemic first started. And I think I went to like 10 or 11 of those digital drag shows and Landon's was probably the best. Some really incredible contestants. There is a non-binary AFAB queen named Hollow Eve, who is like the greatest TV drama. Um, there is Yavska, who is legitimately terrifying. Uh, it's just, it's an incredible cast. Do, they do some great drag. The challenges are so fun. And like the way that you get eliminated is in exterminations is what they called, where they make you do these like really fucked up challenges, like eating raw animal parts, organs, um, jumping out of an airplane, uh, stapling things to your body, like getting tattoos. It's fucking insane. It's so good. Um, I, I, I can't recommend it enough. It is such a fun series to watch. If you have a weak stomach, maybe there are some parts that you might need to like look away from, but it's just, it's, it's so entertaining. It's so entertaining and in a completely different and more heightened way, I think, than Drag Race is and than any other reality competition series. Like they really take the format and elevate it. Okay, that's all that I have for this. Happy Pride to those of you who are celebrating these final few days. Write to your senators in support of the Equality Act. Um, support queer artists. Stream queer musicians on Spotify and Apple Music. Buy their albums. Um, go out and support an LGBTQ plus person. Guarantee our rights. That's all that I have for you. I'll be back next week with more recaps, more reviews, more analyses, and more recommendations. Have a good week, everyone.